I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of Live Wire is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving or cleaning, even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. From PRI Public Radio International, it's... Recorded in front of a live audience at the Herberger Theater in Phoenix, Arizona, it's Livewire. With magician and author Ben Gillette, insect expert Dr. Justin Schmidt. With music from Tucson's official troubadour Ted Ramirez and our fabulous house band. And now, the host of Livewire, he'll never reveal the secret of how he got this job, Luke Perfect! Wow. Thank you. Thanks, Jason. And thank you, everybody here at the Herberger Theater in Phoenix, Arizona. This is very exciting for us. We have never done the show from Phoenix before, and we think we have a great one for you. We were trying to think about what the theme for the hour should be, and we came up with the theme of the invisible world. And the reason was because our guests this hour have something to do with that. We have Penn Gillette here, incredible music. Incredible magician. You know, he makes things disappear. Uh, we also have a scientist named Justin Schmidt. His area of expertise uh, is insects, and those are small and almost invisible sometimes. And also we... We picked that theme because the invisible world is something that I had a lot of experience with as a young kid growing up, and that is because I grew up in an extremely evangelical home and church. I was raised in a household where we were told that there was an invisible world that we could not see, but that had all kinds of amazing and scary stuff going on, that there were angels that were fighting demons. This was not figurative in my household. This was literal. And I totally believed all of this, and it was fairly intense as a kid. The shorthand for me describing the church that I grew up in is it wasn't the kind of church where people picked up poisonous snakes and danced with them, because we didn't know where to get any poisonous snakes. (laughs) That was the only thing standing in the way of that happening. 
the sort of star of the invisible world that I grew up believing in was definitely the Holy Spirit. And if you, if you <laughs> have some Holy Spirit fans here. Uh, the way it was explained to me in the church that I grew up in is that the Holy Spirit is kind of the invisible version of God. Sometimes you could be, well, anywhere, and if the Holy Spirit decided to come, fill your body up, all kinds of stuff could happen. You might start laughing uncontrollably, you might start dancing, you might pass out, or if you were at the church that I went to, you might start speaking in tongues. There was a ton of tongue speaking going on at my church. I was a, a young kid and I wanted to fit in, so I tried my hand at it. I was not always sure if I was saying the words that were coming out of me or if the Holy Spirit was, because the idea was the Holy Spirit fills you up with so much something or other that you start speaking in, a, in an almost nonsense language and it's a direct connection between you and God. But I would be doing it and I would find myself saying things like monkey, chi, greedo, and realize later that's when Jabba the Hutt asked Han Solo why he killed Greedo. So that was definitely probably not the Holy Spirit. That was probably me. But sometimes it felt like maybe it was, it was really happening. I was, I was kind of embarrassed about the whole thing, so I would, my, my compromise was I would speak in tongues at a volume that was slightly louder than a whisper, but low enough that you couldn't really hear me in the rest of the room. The like the volume that you use if you're at the pharmacy and you're asking them where the preparation H is. <laughs> Do you guys have... Like right at that kind of barely audible level was where I did most of my good speaking in tongues. A lot of the people in the church, the grown-ups, did not feel this sense of, I don't know what you might call it, uh, confusion or nervousness that I was feeling, and they would just let it fly. And the thing about speaking in tongues that I learned is it's very hard for people, if they're speaking a nonsensical, non-real language, to make more than like three or four different sounds. You have a limited number of sounds that you can make. So it gets really repetitive to the point where me and my sisters would be bored in the car and one of us would go, shidi akodia, shidi akodia, shidi akodia. <laughs> and one of us would go, uh, Pastor Tim, right? That's who that is? Like, we could do name that tune with people from the church. So, and I don't know if it's apparent or not in how I'm talking about it, but I'll just say that that kind of world and, and that, that way of, of going to church and being at church, it's not really what I've chosen in my adult life. I think to some degree, maybe because it was such a big part of my childhood, I feel like our childhood is like this explosion of things happening to us, and then our adult life is just hurtling through space, trying to contort ourselves slightly into some sort of direction that feels like it's working for us. And my direction took me sort of away from that stuff to the point where now I'm like an extremely rational, science-based person who, like, I don't believe in ghosts, I don't believe in auras, which I know is very dangerous to say. 
in Arizona or the Southwest because 70 to 80% of the local economy is ARA-based. Um, I don't want to alienate the audience early here at the Herberger Theater, but... So, you know, I, I live my life now just looking at the visible world and kind of just thinking, like, that's the visible world. That's what there is. That's all of it. And I had this thought. I turned 40 not that long ago. Maybe I was having a little bit of a midlife crisis or something. But I started thinking about how much more fun it was when I thought there was this whole invisible world of all of these characters and things going on. And I was feeling kind of a little wistful for that. And that was the same week that they rolled out Pokemon Go. <laughs> which was so perfect for me because it's exactly that stuff from my childhood but with much lower stakes. <laughs> like the hole in my heart has been filled with a Charmander. <laughs> so things are going okay for me. Um, as, as uh, you can hear from this enthusiastic crowd, we are, in fact, in Phoenix right now. And we really wanted to try to immerse ourselves in the local culture of Arizona, and in particular in the food down here. And the theme of this hour is the invisible world, so we thought a really cool way to bring together both of those ideas was to eat some ghost peppers. <laughs> on stage during the show. You know, when you, when you say it out loud like that in front of a bunch of people, you really realize what a bad idea that truly is. Um, but I guess it's too late. Uh, here to help us with that highly questionable idea, please welcome Lance Anthony of Anthony Spices to Livewire. Lance, welcome to Livewire. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. What is the hottest sauce that you actually make? Well, we have the uh, uh, extreme ghost pepper. We've got an extreme ghost pepper. Mix. Yeah, because I've had ghost pepper, and it's like, it's okay. But I was like, <laughs> is this really extreme enough? Now you've answered the question, Lance. Thank you for that. Okay, so you make an extreme ghost pepper sauce. Let's talk about Scoville units. What exactly are those? Uh, Wilbur Scoville um, basically found that the capsaicin level in a pepper. Uh, in 1912, he was able to extract that, measure it, and it's basically at exponential scale. Um, like a jalapeno is 6,000 Scoville units between 5 and 8. Um, you got the habanero between 100,000 and 300,000, and then you got the ghost pepper. Which is what? And that's about 300 to uh, 500,000. I assume this guy died establishing the Scoville scale? Well, he was a scientist, so I don't think he actually tasted any of that. Oh, that's... They should not name the scale after him if he didn't actually have to taste the stuff. It was a chemical compound that he'd, he, he, he'd found, and he found that that directly relates to the sensors on the tongue that actually is a burning sensation that if you put it on your skin, it will actually blister... And, and give you the same sensation on your skin as it does on your tongue. So your tongue will blister if you eat uh, high enough capsaicin. This idea is sounding better and better. Um, um, okay, you know what? 
Lance, let's, let's take a quick break. I'm going to consider the wisdom of this idea we had about eating these peppers. And then we're going to come right back with much more Livewire. This is Livewire Radio coming to you from Phoenix, Arizona. Back in a moment. Hey, it's Luke. I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that Livewire is brought to you in part by Ergo Depot. I use an Ergo Depot sit-stand desk when I record the Livewire broadcast. And i got to be honest with you, the show would not be the same without it. It adjusts to whatever height works for me based on what's happening on the show. I can program different heights so it remembers what's going on. The folks at Ergo Depot are amazing. I've been by there. They are advocates for active living. They're the makers of the Jarvis desk, which is, as I've already mentioned, pretty much the best height-adjustable stand desk out there. Plus, if you don't believe me, and why would you, go online and look at the independent reviews of this thing. Uh, You can work like you live. That is to say, in motion. You don't have to sit still just because you're at work. You can feel good and you can do your best work by using the fine products at Ergo Depot. You can find out more by going to ergodepot.com. Welcome back to Livewire Radio from PRI. We're coming to you this week from the Herberger Theater in Phoenix, Arizona. We've got Lance Anthony here, local maker of extremely hot, hot sauces. Anthony Spices is the name of the company. And because we're trying to really embrace local culture here in Phoenix, we decided we would try some of these. Now, I have to paint the picture for people driving around somewhere in America. Uh, Lance has a a big tray in front of him full of different uh, sauces that you've made and peppers and uh, latex gloves for us to wear and a variety of things to try to cool ourselves down after we try these peppers. And just you opening these jars (laughs) is causing me to tear up. And we've also got announcer Jason Rouse here who, for some reason, has agreed to be a part of this. Why? I don't, well, he has a sharp knife that I'll be able to stab my eyes and just end it. Your eyes are not going to be what's hurting. This is amazing what's happening here. This is, don't waft it at me. (laughs) Okay. All right. So, uh, Lance, uh, start us out with the first one. What is this going to be? This is our ghost pepper mat. We're starting with the ghost? I mean, the theme of the show this week is the invisible world. So the ghost pepper seems particularly appropriate. Lance is handing me a little... Dollop. Now, how many Scoville units, uh, which is unit of hotness? That one's only a million. What's going to happen to my mouth and Jason's mouth when we ingest a little bit of this one million Scoville units of, uh, of, of demonic red sauce you've brought? Well, your tongue will start to get warm. And I suggest... That, that makes it sound like a tongue vacation. Yeah. You're a little too calm right now, my friend. I'm not trying it. <laughs> I would suggest taking the spoon, okay. put it on your tongue, and swallow it real, real fast. Okay. That way you don't get the oils in your mouth. You're just tasting it. <laughs> that's, that's, you know, that's a sign you're eating something you shouldn't be. You don't want it to touch any yeah, of your mouth. Back. Don't swish it around. All right, here we go. Ready? One, two, three. All right. That was actually really, that was nice. It actually, I'll tell you, so far, so far, it's a little warm on the back of my throat, but it actually tastes very nice. It's not overwhelming. I feel surprisingly okay from that one, but I have a feeling that there's uh, yet another test that we need to pass. I kind of lied when I said that the hottest we had was ghosts, okay? The ghost is at 1 million Scoville heat units. The uh, scorpion 
sure. is two million. Is that like twice as much? That does seem like a lot. I did, okay. I did some quick math, and yeah, that is more. Yeah. I did that I did. right in my head. Jason was shaking the back of my chair in actual physical fear when Lance scooped up the next batch. Okay, so this is... All right. This is two million Scoville units. The Scorpion, the scorpion Pepper... What's it called? Uh, we call it Pure Scorpion Pepper Mash. Okay, a Scorpion Pepper Mash from Anthony Spices of Phoenix, Arizona. Here we go. Ready, Jason Rouse? In, now the audience is getting into it. Before they were like, "You ready? You ready?" They were like, "Don't do it!" And now there's One, bloodthirst. Two, three. Okay. <laughs> there's a real jump from one million to two million. I told you it's exponential. Oh, if only I paid attention in school, I would know what that means. Um, that little bit of two million Scoville units, hot mash that I just threw in my mouth, it hit, I, what's that thing called that hangs down in the back of your throat? <laughs> that they would use as a punching bag in the cartoons? <laughs> that, it hit that exactly, and it does not feel good. Oh my god. But goodness. that wasn't, it has a great flavor, which I didn't expect. Okay, uh, well. I, I, I have a... A terrible suspicion that there is, in fact, one more yeah, level. Yeah, we haven't used these yet. Oh, right. The gloves have been sitting there unused. Okay, so the hottest pepper in the world is the Carolina Reaper. That is an awful name what for What are you guys, thing. like, pepper fans? Do you, like, root for a specific pepper? Okay, tell me about the Carolina Reaper, Lance, as you, as you ominously... Well, we use those gloves. By the way, nothing good has ever happened after somebody pulls on tight latex gloves. Now, I'll describe these for the radio audience at home. They, they are, uh, you know, smallish. They're red, and they are utterly terrifying to They're look angry at. Angry looking. They look angry. Um, you're saying that this is actually the hottest pepper on the planet? Yes, it is. Two point two million. To repeat, for those who just got in their car and turned on the radio, we're here in Phoenix, Arizona at the Herberger Theater. We have Lance Anthony from Anthony Spices here on the show. And we are about to record what is probably our last ever episode of Livewire. And we're going to be eating the Carolina Reaper. Do you a- chew it? You just swallow that, it? That you have to chew. Now that's what? About- <laughs> if you just swallow it, you're not going to enjoy it. <laughs> So, I would, I, you know, to be honest with you, I would chew it two or three times just so you can swallow it. Okay. If I don't chew it, is it going to make still an enemy the, of my stomach it's, it's when it gets do down this, there? Yeah. Chewing it actually is better for you. Okay. Well, yeah, what's the street value of this guy right yeah, here? Yeah, great question. What's, a, what's one of these peppers cost? Well, they're not cheap, but, you know, you can grow them in Arizona. I mean, Arizona is like prime weather for it. It's nice and warm. They love warm, humid weather. When the I assumed you grew them on Mount Doom. <laughs> This is the hottest pepper known to man, about to be eaten for the first time, I think, probably, on public radio. You ready? Do you guys want to count us down again? Why don't you lead the charge, Lance? Three, Three, two, one. I did four chews. That was too many chews. I told you three. 
Yeah, I, I chewed it a lot. I chewed it a lot. I chewed it a lot. Lance Anthony, ladies and gentlemen. We're coming to you from Phoenix this week, and our theme this hour... Our theme this hour is The Invisible World, and so we asked the audience here at the Herberger Theater, who or what would you love to make disappear? And they submitted some thoughts on that. Every time I open my mouth, the air goes in and burns the inside of my mouth. All right, let's do this. Barbara, who's here, says... She'd like to make disappear the strap holding my husband's glasses on. So Barbara's husband, that's a not-so-subtle hint. Uh, Dana says, my hairstyle between 1993 and 1997. I've seen pictures on Facebook, Dana, and you are not wrong. And the last one, who or what would you love to make disappear here on this edition of Livewire? Uh, Sarah just says, uh, pledge drives. <laughs> Them's fighting words, Sarah. Tonight's show is brought to you by Whole Foods Market. October is non-GMO month, and Whole Foods Market carries more than 25,000 certified organic and 8,500 non-GMO project verified products. Knowledge is power, and knowing what's in that can of chili is just good thinking. More info at WholeFoodsMarket.com. We could not be more excited to be here in Arizona, but of course we're sort of newcomers. We've only been here for about a week. But our musical guest this hour has roots that go way, way back. Like back to 1776, when his family first moved to the area. He's dedicated much of his life to making sure the stories of the past don't end up part of the invisible world. He does it with his music. Please welcome the official troubadour of Tucson, Ted Ramirez, to Livewire. Thank you. Your ears are glowing. <laughs> welcome to the show, Ted. You know, this, this is a traditional kind of thing in, in Arizona. We do this every time visitors from the East come here, you know? <laughs> you make... You make them eat it's medically called, dangerous amount of local hot peppers? Exactly, yes. It's called the chili habit. Really? Yeah. After a while, you can't eat without it. Is that correct? Yeah. What song are you going to play for us, Ted? This one here is one that I wrote. Now, Tucson, everybody knows the word Tucson, right? The Spanish uh, pronounce it Tucson. The word comes from an indigenous language, the O'odham language, and... There in Tucson, we have Sentinel Peak, which is a volcanic mountain. And um, so the indigenous people named him Chukshon, which means black rocks. And obviously, that was a good name for it. And so when the Spaniards arrived there, uh, they changed it to Tucson. And when the English spe speakers arrived, they changed that to Tucson. So that's how we got there. So this one is Viva Tucson, because I wrote it in Spanish, okay? All right, this is Ted Ramirez on Livewire Radio.
Hay un pueblito viejito El pueblito donde nací Ahí en el monte me canta el censón de canciones no más para mí Ay, 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 como te quiero Ay, 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 pueblito mío Ay, 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 nunca te olvido Que viva, que viva Tucson Ese pueblito viejito tiene una historia muy lindo donde mis antepasados gozaron sus tiempos de lindo vivir. Ay, 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 cómo te quiero. Ay, 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 pueblito mío. Ay, ay, ay. Nunca te olvido Que viva, que viva Tucson Ay, ay, ay como te quiero Ay, ay, ay Pueblito mío Ay, ay, ay Nunca te olvido Que viva, que viva Tucson En los ranchitos viejitos Vivía la gente más bella Lindos, queridos y de noble sentido Y buenos de corazón Ay, 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 cómo te quiero Ay, 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 pueblito mío Ay, 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 nunca te olvido Que viva, que viva Tucson Que viva That's Ted Ramirez, the official troubadour of Tucson, right here on Livewire Radio. This is Livewire Radio. My name is Luke Burbank. I'm your host. Dr. Justin Schmidt has dedicated his life to the invisible, or at least the nearly invisible world, of insects. He's a biologist at the Southwestern Biological Institute here in Arizona. 
and he's the author of the book Sting of the Wild, which features, among other things, the complete Schmidt Sting Pain Index, a ranking of insect stings based on how painful they are. Why is it called the Schmidt Sting Pain Index? Because Dr. Schmidt has been the test case for most of the stings. Please welcome the very brave Dr. Justin Schmidt to Livewire. Uh, Justin Schmidt, welcome to Livewire. Thank you. This book that you've written, The Sting of the Wild, is just incredible. Um, it's so informative, and uh, we'll talk a little bit later about the, the pain index that you've, that you've created, much of it through <laughs> personal experience. But you're also, of course, a scientist. You study a, a lot of the different elements of insect life, and in particular stinging insects. When did you become interested in insects? I think I was about five years old. You know, I didn't, didn't have much going on in my environment. I was in a little rural town back in the Appalachian Mountains. What can you do? You're little, and your creepy crawlies are out there, and they're little. And so I just kind of got interested in these beautiful things. You've gone from there to uh, one of the uh, more well-respected scientists in your field of study, which is, in particular, insects that sting. Why do insects sting? They basically sting to let you know to leave them alone. They want you to say, hey, I'm here, I'm beautiful, go watch, but do not touch. What is your personal policy on killing insects? Is it ever okay? Uh, if you're a mosquito, yes. <laughs> is that the one insect that you feel okay about killing? Like if you, a lot of people, if they uh, see a spider in their house, you know, they want to kill it, or a, a bee or wasp comes around and it makes them feel nervous. Do you ever kill those sorts of insects? Oh, no, not those, but you, you get something like a kissing bug. We have those in Tucson. They're really nasty, blood-sucking things, so... That name is so misleading then. Kissing bugs? Yes, exactly. They, they, they kind of kiss you because you're hiding under your sheets trying to stay warm in the middle of the fall afternoon or, or evening, rather. And the thing crawls up and wants a meal. It's kind of like a bed bug on steroids. It's a great big black thing. And it comes around. What can it get to? Well, your lips are nice and warm and juicy. And oh, boy. We're talking, to, we're talking to Justin Schmidt. He's an entomologist. His book is The Sting of the Wild, the story of the man who got stung for science. How can people avoid being stung by insects? Basically, don't breathe. <laughs> it, it turns out that insects are not like us. They don't see very well, and they don't hear very well. But boy, do they smell well. You think a bloodhound smells really well. Try an insect. And so when you're, when you're threatening an insect, how do you threaten them? You come with your mouth, you go, ah, right on them. And that's, that's the CO2 and the smell of your breath. And they say, oh my goodness, there's a great big bear here, or something is going to eat me, a skunk, or you know, maybe an entomologist, who knows? Right. <laughs> and, and so that's what cues them in. So if you hold your breath, then you don't have to worry about getting stung, pretty much. So in other words, uh, some kind of stinging insect comes, oh, by the way, when we were promoting your appearance on the show, I made the <laughs> fatal mistake of calling it an insect bite on Twitter. And we chastised Boy, did I you. hear from your colleagues. Well, good for them. It's good to know I have some friends out there. 
Are you? So you're saying that if uh, some sort of stinging insect comes near you, the thing is to just hold your breath? Yeah, hold your breath and don't flap. You know, have you ever noticed whenever you're... That's just good life advice. <laughs> exactly. When, whenever you're outdoors, it's sometimes fun to kind of watch the people around you and there's a fly buzzing around them. They're not even thinking about it. They're just kind of flapping their hands in front of their face, trying to get the fly to go away. Well, that's the second thing that really stimulates. We got the first was the breath. Number two is motion. And so if you're flapping, ah, there's the enemy. I've, I've homed in on him. So that makes it even worse. So don't flap and don't breathe. And then you're all set. You're safe. Is there an insect that you, that's like your Moby Dick that you've always wanted to see or capture or study that you haven't yet been able to find? Well, not any stinging insects. When I was a kid, I, I wanted the tiger swallowtail. It was a butterfly. I was actually sort of a normal kid, if you could believe that. But they were, they were really quite, quite spectacular. Now, now as an adult, well, I don't know. There's, uh, there's a couple of ants in Congo, but I'm afraid to go there. <laughs> because of other things? Because of political unrest or what? Yeah, I, I don't worry about the insects. They're, they're pretty minor. I worry about the politics. Um, it's kind of like in this country, you know, you worry about the politics. Yeah, believe me. I don't think there's many people in Congo that want to come here right now. I, I think you're probably right. What is going on physically for the human being when we get stung? It's basically just sending nerve signals that tell us that we have been damaged, or we are being damaged, or we're about to be damaged. But they lie. That's the thing. Stings are lies. And the reason they're lies is if you get stung, you think you're being damaged, but wake up and then the next morning and there's, you still have your fingers, you still have your ears, your nose. Nothing is lost. You're all there. And what it was, they just faked you out. They tricked us. They're outsmarting us. So you're saying the pain that one is feeling from a, a particularly bad insect sting is it's pain, but it's not damage? Most of the time. Now, if you're really little... Or if you get a whole lot of them, like I wouldn't recommend getting a thousand stings by bees. That would be very bad. But if you get just one sting, you know, yeah, it kind of ruins your day. But other than that, it doesn't do any damage. How many times do you think you've been stung in your life overall? Oh, probably a thousand, maybe fifteen hundred. Do you even react at this point when you are stung? Like, I mean, the way that a lot of us would be freaking out a little bit. Or to you, is that just another day at the office? Um, well, it depends what kind of company I'm in. If it's a good company like here, I have to delete all the expletives. But if I'm on my own, there's lots of expletives that come out. I see. So that's actually kind of reassuring that you are a scientist, you study this, but you're still like <laughs> when you get stung. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you said it. <laughs> Our guest is Justin Schmidt. He's the author of The Sting of the Wild. He is a scientist. He studies stinging insects. And uh, now on stage has in front of him a number of insect animals in these jars. Uh, what could you tell me about them? So I have here a couple of local species of ants. We have the big red ants and we have black ants. And the red ants live on, you see them on the sidewalks when you're walking around Phoenix or Tucson. And the same for the black ants. Now these are just little ants. They're only about a third of an inch long. But they're deceptive. They're actually a three on the pain scale. In other words, that means that they really, really hurt. Can we take a quick moment to talk a little bit about the pain index that you've created? Um, because the way that you write about these, uh, the, the feeling of these stings is kind of amazing. When you write about 
the, it's a black ant, it's called the Ectatoma rudium. How'd I do on that pronunciation? Very well. Here's how you describe a sting from this particular ant. A brief searing, like tuna on a grill. The bottom of your foot is blanched, but not cooked through. Exactly. That's very poetic. Makes you hungry. Now, if you put these in front of you, you've got uh, one jar of black ants, one jar of red ants. If you put them in the same jar, would they fight it out to the death? Yes. What what six-year-old doesn't want to see a red ant and a black ant? And just see what happens if you put a red ant into a black ant nest. And do see they, what is it just pheromonal? They, how do they know to be sort of sworn enemies? Well, the enemy smells bad, so you don't like him. And that's pheromones. Uh, we've got Justin Schmidt here. The book is The Sting of the Wild. Tell me about uh, one of the other insects that you've, you've brought yeah, up one here of on my, stage. One of my favorites here is this beautiful yellow wasp. It's a big paper wasp. We call it the Jesus Christ wasp. And, um, and you might say... You want that, to explain that one there, Schmidt? Well, well, there's two explanations for it. One, if you get stung by it, you say, Jesus Christ! <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and the other explanation is that these are the original acrobatic uh, water tankers. They come flying in like a helicopter over your swimming pool, and they kind of come down... Hovering, and they land in the middle of the pool, and they tank up with water. And then they pick up when they're all laden and heavy with water, they pick up, and off they go. And what they do is they take the water back to make their nest. It's made out of paper, and if you're chewing on dry, dead wood, trying to make paper mache to make a a nice nest, you got to have some moisture for it. And so that's what they do. So this uh, Jesus Christ wasp, not totally sure if we can say it in that context on public radio, but we'll go with it. Um, where would you put the, the sting of that, uh, of that animal on your, your Schmidt pain index? This one's also a three. I didn't, a I didn't three. bring any of the wimpy ones. I guess I should have brought a fire ant. Well, that you could have brought a, an elongate twig ant, which you describe as being a one on the pain scale. This is what you say it feels like in the book. Reminiscent of a childhood bully. Intimidating, but his punch only glanced your chin, and you live for another day. Exactly. That, that seems oddly specific, Dr. Schmidt. Is that based on personal experience in your childhood? Uh, no, in my adulthood. I should have known better. Uh, what's the last insect that you have up here on stage? This thing is a doozy. This is absolutely the most gorgeous insect on earth. This is called a tarantula hawk, tarantula hawk wasp, and they're just beautiful. Hold on, I'm turning to the tarantula hawk section of the pain index. It's a four. Exactly. Here's how you describe it. Blinding, fierce, shockingly electric, a running hairdryer has just been dropped into your bubble bath. So th- thanks for bringing that one on stage. Would, would you like to pick it up? No, I would not like to pick it up. You, you he has taken to. the cap off of the jar. He is ripping a tarantula hawk out, which is even scarier than the name. Do yeah, not put it near me. Please do not put it near me. <laughs> is that dangerous that you have that out? What if that thing flies off into this beautiful public radio audience? They'll all die, right? Yeah, that would be very cruel to the poor thing. This, this is... <laughs> 
You feel that he would get the worst of it if he was to well, mingle with this crowd at the Herberger. Well, definitely, this crowd's much more intimidating than this poor little wasp. Okay, you seem like a pretty cool customer when it comes to these insects, but if a tarantula hawk is zeroing in on you, are you able to keep it together, or would you run away screaming like the rest of us? Oh, I'd probably run towards it. <laughs> you see... They have no interest in stinging me unless I've been handling a tarantula. I haven't tried that. If you cuddle a tarantula, then you might smell like a tarantula. If you smell like a tarantula, a tarantula is dinner. So I don't know if any, any of the audience wants to try this experiment. That's a good scientific experiment to do. I'll, I'll let you do it, not me. I thought the downside of holding a tarantula was that you were holding a tarantula. <laughs> it turns out there's an unintended consequence that this nightmare insect will then think you are dinner. Or at least... A really big dinner. So this thing could kill a tarantula spider and eat it? Well, what it does is it stings it and paralyzes it. It's even more fascinating. It paralyzes it so you have fresh meat and then lays an egg on it and its baby eats it. So the baby enjoys savoring a a 10-day meal of tarantula. Who wouldn't want to study this stuff? (laughs) Justin Schmidt, right here on Livewire. Thank you so much. This week's show is brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines, an airline with over 800 daily departures to over 100 cities, even to tropical un-Alaskan lands like Costa Rica and Hawaii. And with a name like Alaska, you know the air conditioning will be on point. (laughs) Alaska Airlines. Fly nice. This is Livewire Radio coming to you this week from Phoenix, Arizona, and we're talking about the invisible world this hour, which is kind of our next guest's specialty. For over 30 years, Penn Gillette has been one of America's foremost magicians and entertainers. He's one half of Penn and Teller. He also hosts the amazing podcast Penn Gillette Sunday School and has written a number of books, the most recent of which is now in the New York Times bestseller list. It details his dramatic weight loss. It's called Presto, How I Made 100 Pounds Disappear and Other Magic Tales. Please welcome the very tall and now very slender Penn Gillette to Livewire. Hey, how you doing? The book is a fascinating read because it involves a diet that you spend the first few pages of the book telling the reader is scientifically questionable, Mm -hmm. possibly dangerous, and maybe not something they should even try. Well, if you get medical advice from a Las Vegas magician, you are an idiot and you deserve to die. Uh, right? But uh, my book is uh, amateur colloquial discussion of weight loss, and all the real scientific papers that they've been working on are going to come out later, because I was one of the people in, in the program. So what I'm writing, what it was not peer-reviewed. Well, it was peer-reviewed, but my peer is Carrot Top in Vegas. Right. But <clears throat> wasn't scientifically peer-reviewed. So those books will be out in about a year when this diet will be discussed seriously. Turns out what they're discovering is the faster you lose weight, the more likely you are to keep it off. 
which is very uh, against uh, common wisdom. Uh, I lost, uh, for the whole time I was losing weight, my average was 0.9 pounds a day. So that is a lot of weight loss. I lost over 100 pounds. 80 of it was in three months. And what I found was it's really fun to make things really difficult. And when they're difficult, they become easy. Difficult like nothing but potatoes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Tell us about that part. One of the things you want to do is you want to do two weeks of a mono diet. And a mono diet is, uh, can be any one vegetable item. It could, be, it could be brown rice, it could be corn, it could be beans. But I chose potatoes because they're funny. So, um, Why are potatoes funny? I don't know, because that's the way God wanted it. Okay. Interesting coming from an atheist, but yeah. we're going to let that slide. Uh, I, I can't think of another reason. Uh, and uh, what, you want, what I wanted to do was knock myself out of the uh, social and entertainment aspects of eating. So eating potatoes is not entertaining. So that just goes away. Uh, it's not social because no one ever, you know, lands in Vegas and calls up and goes, Hey, Ben, I just landed in Vegas. Let's eat some potatoes. <laughs> well, it didn't come up those two weeks at least. And uh, also, you want to uh, re-educate the habits of your taste buds. Uh, When you've been eating a standard American diet, sad, uh, which I had for, you know, 40 years, uh, you are eating really salt, sugar, and fat over and over. I mean, pizza, hamburgers, those are all the same foods. They're all salt, sugar, and fat. And you really can't taste much else. After two weeks of potatoes, I had a piece of corn on the cob. And I will tell you, it was the tastiest, sweetest thing I have ever tasted. And now I find I enjoy food much more, and I eat much more complicated tastes. It's kind of like uh, for 30 years of your life, you're listening to nothing but the Trog's first album. Just three-chord rock and roll, which is wonderful, and it's fabulous. But then, I'm 61 years old, and all of a sudden, for the first time, I'm hearing Miles Davis and Stravinsky. And all of a sudden, you go, wow, there's other stuff you can do with taste. Penn, hold on. We've got to take a very short break. Uh, we'll be back with more here on Livewire Radio with Penn Gillette in just a moment. Well, hey there. Livewire podcast listeners, we could not do this show without you. The radio show couldn't exist without you. Our fine members and this podcast in particular could not exist without you. If you would like to become a member of the League of Extraordinary Listeners, if you're somebody who has been listening to Livewire as a podcast and it brings some amount of joy or entertainment into your life, maybe even comfort, who knows, uh, this would be a great time to go to livewireradio.org. And to join up, 5 bucks a month, 10 bucks a month, whatever works for you. We've got some cool stuff that we'll mail you as a thank you, and uh, everybody will win. Thanks to all the people who have become members already, and thanks to all of you who are about to do that right now by going to livewireradio.org. Welcome back to Livewire Radio. We have Penn Gillette here. He's got a new book out. Of course, he's also well-known for his work with Teller in the Penn and Teller Magic Act. Although, you write in the book that you think of yourself as a juggler, and you think of Teller as the magician. Well, Teller's, the, I mean, as, as you've learned here, Teller's the brains of the operation. Uh, we got a show on called Fool Us, yeah. where the best magicians in the world come out. 
And I've said this a few times on the show, but it's just true. The whole game is just fool Teller. I, I don't add anything. I don't bring anything to the table. Teller just talks to me, and then I find a way to say it that's palatable uh, for, the, uh, for the contestant. But uh, Teller is, I believe, um, one of the two or three best magical minds alive. If I didn't know Teller, I might refer to myself as a magician. But when you know Teller, uh, the bar's pretty high. Right. You're like Scottie Pippen, but you happen to be playing with Michael Jordan. See, here's the problem. I don't know anything about sports. Trust me, it was a pretty decent reference. Good, good, good. So you work with someone in Teller who is an incredible magi magician. You are yourself, of course, quite accomplished. I'm curious, you must have answered this question many, many times, but how did the idea strike you to, to present the act in the way you do? You speak, he doesn't. When did that come about? I also had nothing to do with that. So Teller worked his way through college uh, doing magic at frat parties. And he found out that if he didn't say anything and did stuff that was really intense and bordering on grotesque, that people would grow tired of heckling him. So when we first worked together, I had been working, uh, I was, uh, I guess the word you use now is homeless, but I was, uh, <laughs> I, was, I was living on the streets and juggling and also juggling in rock and roll bars and stuff. So my way of dealing, no one wants to see juggling. So my way of doing it, everybody heckles constantly, was to be more aggressive and louder than my audience. Um, and Teller was being completely silent. And when I met Teller, uh, there was no affection, but there was a great deal of respect. And we started working together as two different acts on the same bill. And we, uh, we longed to do stuff together. We had ideas, but we had to keep the integrity of each individual act. So uh, we started doing stuff with Teller not talking, me talking. It wasn't even a, a real plan. And then we found some stuff that's pretty interesting. You know, most two-person comedy acts, and they used to be very common, and now they're extremely rare. But, I mean, you have to go back to Martin and Lewis and uh, George and Gracie, um, Abbott and Costello. Uh, they usually turn three-quarter to the audience. So we have a conversation, and the audience is watching, and we also play out and play in. And that means that the person that the audience is going to um, identify with, in each line kind of goes back and forth. But if you turn that straight front... And I don't look at Teller. 90-minute uh, show in Vegas, we make eye contact, I believe, three times in the show. It's, it's like being married. Yeah. <laughs> We're straight out, straight out to the audience. So what you essentially have is a one-person show done by two people. And I find that what we now call codependence used to be called partnership. And it used to be, a, it used to be an, uh, an admirable quality. Uh, I love that. I love the fact that when you watch our show, neither one of us seems to be able to function without the other. I think that's, that's kind of a beautiful idea that I'm kind of obsessed with. Uh, I'm obsessed with people working together and not just having to be... Well, I guess... Uh, I had a conversation, and this is absolutely a true conversation, a true conversation that happened in the 90s that uh, I just thought was so perfectly poetic. It was like a, like a Don DeLillo novel or something. Um, someone was interviewing me, and she said to me, uh, I, I used to work for people, but now, then I worked for us, and now I'm interviewing you for self. Those were the wow. three magazines. She went yeah. from people to us to self. And I went, well, maybe we all did. <laughs> yeah. 
Penn Gillette, ladies and gentlemen. His new book is Presto, How I Made 100 Pounds Disappear and Other Magical Tales. Penn, thank you so much, Thanks man. Thanks a lot, man. Thank you. <laughs> This week's episode is brought to you by New Belgium Brewing. And with the fall season upon us, it's time for that pumpkin fix. And New Belgium has it covered with their Pump Kick Seasonal Ale. Big pumpkin pie spice up front with a light sour finish. This is what fall tastes like. More info at newbelgium.com. We're just about done here in Phoenix. It's been a pretty amazing time. Let's tell you who helped make this whole thing happen. A huge thank you to our amazing guests, Penn Gillette. Justin Schmidt, Lance Anthony, and Ted Ramirez, the official troubadour of Tucson. This show was made possible in part by our sponsors, New Belgium Brewing Company, Whole Foods Market, Ergo Depot, and Alaska Airlines. Hotel accommodations generously provided by Provenance Hotels. Robin Tenenbaum is the executive producer and co-creator of Livewire. Laura Haddon is our producer and editor. Jason Rouse is our announcer. Our house band is Jonathan Newsom and A. Walker Spring. Molly Pettit is our technical director. Our house sound by Connor Adams. Thanks to Revival Drum Shop and Carlson Audio. Special thanks to Shannon O'Hara, Greta Haug, Tammy Updegraff, Lucas Cullum, and all the fantastic people here at the Herberger Theater in Phoenix. Thanks John Hoban. Linda Pastori, and all the wonderful folks at KJZZ. Our development director is Kim Bergstrom. Our operations manager is Lauren Masterson. Happy birthday, Lauren. Laura Harden is our marketing manager. Our copywriter is Hannah Withers. Additional funding provided by the Oregon Arts Commission and the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation. Live Wire is made possible by the generous support of our members. Special thanks this week to members Annette and Wayne Masterson. For more info about our show or how to become a member, go to livewireradio.org. My name's Luke Burbank. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. PRI, Public Radio International. Wouldn't it be amazing to have a piping hot episode of Livewire delivered right to your heart and ears each week? Well, guess what? That can happen when you subscribe to the Livewire podcast feed and you'll get the joy of surprising conversation every week. So go ahead and do it. It's super easy. You click on the button at the top of your podcast app and bam, you are Livewire subscribed. And if you're still, you know, feeling the love, if you're enjoying the show, hey, maybe you could hook us up and uh, leave us a quick review. That'll help more people find out about Livewire. And thank you.